Thank you for that, ladies. Good reminder of who God is. And we uh, looked at a, a story that's interesting this morning, and I think it's interesting because of Jesus' initial response. And we turned there this morning again, if you could, Matthew chapter 15, and uh, we're going to look at several other places in Scripture if you've got your, your Bible ready to turn, and we'll turn to different places this morning. I'm glad that you're with us and, and appreciate your, your faithful attendance this morning. And I'm looking forward to just getting back into the, the swing of things this year. And um, I'm sure you all are looking forward to having Sunday nights back and then slowly get into the rest of our, our schedule as a church. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that we value as people is just communication. And if you have been married for a little while, you understand how important communication is. And, you know, often in, in our, our relationships, obviously the things that we learn about each other, the things that we say to one another. But I know also that one of the things that I learned very quickly um, after being married was that some things are worse than spoken words. And what that is, is the silent treatment. Any, any other men know that? All right. Some of the ladies put their hand up. And, and some of you, you're, you're, uh, you're thinking, well, we're glad, for, we're glad for, uh, for the times when we do communicate. But the silent treatment, I'll tell you what, you know, for me, that was the, that was the hardest thing. And, and, I'll, and I want to embarrass my wife, but she's an expert at the silent treatment, I'll just tell you. Um, I learned much, all right, through that. And I think we, we, we give a lot of credit, obviously, to, to what we hear, and especially from the fact that God gives us, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So all of us understand that there's that element of our Christian life where God tells us things. God communicates in His Word to us. And yet what we find is the very God whose words are so powerful that when he spoke, he created the world. The, the very God who actually when, uh, when, when even in, in his arrest in the garden, when he spoke, the soldiers fell backwards. There were times where he chose to actually not respond and be silent. There were the 400, you think about the, the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. And we see that God in his wisdom and God in, in his character and nature, um, he chose at times not to respond and just to be silent. And yet in that, there are things to learn. And, and I think as a people, you know, we, we undervalue silence. You know, we have a society that is very much noisy, we go to the shops and we want to shop and there's noise. Um, I grew up and again, um, I love my sisters, but we had a loud household, all right? I grew up with three sisters and, uh, and silence to me in that scenario was golden. And but, understanding though that sometimes in the silence, we become unnerved. It's always awkward when you're asking a question or you're trying to have a conversation and there's no response. And, and there are times perhaps in your life where 
you felt like God has been unusually silent to you. I wonder if you've ever been there. Where you're seeking something out from God and then his initial response perhaps is just awkward, isn't it? You just have that silence. And yet, what's this, that's what we find here in, 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 um, in the, this, uh, this passage that we read, and we'll look at several other times where he does that. But, you know, I think sometimes, again, we, we overvalue in our communication just, uh, this, uh, just answers, and, and we want constant conversation. And yet, the Bible does tell us that in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. Sometimes there, are, there is an occasion where we talk too much. The Bible tells us that we're wise if we use our words sparingly. The Bible tells us that a word fitly spoken in due season is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And so that, that, that understanding that words are valuable, but also words spoken in due time is valuable too. And, and you know, we understand that that God who is the, the God who spoke the world into existence in the spoken word is also a God who chooses at times to just not respond, to just be silent. And even in those times, there's learning. And, and we see that, that you know, as, as, as people, there's times where we ought to follow the pattern there. The Bible tells us that the, those who can control their tongue can control the whole man, and the ultimate thing is how we're controlled in our words. And, and sometimes the right response is silence. Sometimes the right for the situation anyway. You know, we always tell our children this, don't we? If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. And yet so many times we, we find ourselves feeling like we must say something about this. And, and yet God in His wisdom and in His pattern and who He is... Even in this time where it seemed like the apt thing to do was for him to immediately respond in this, as, as Dave mentioned, this great need that this woman had. We can't doubt that, can we? She had, a, she had, a, she had a, an awesome need there, for not for herself even, but for a loved one. And, and as he's, he mentioned, you know, there's some times where we're just seeking God and we're trying to get a response from God about a certain thing that is desperate. And yet, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Sometimes God just says, and he just wants us to. And there's been times where I've had to ask God for some things, and he's just said. And there's times that way, and, and we've got we've to be okay with that. We've got to be right with that. And there's some learnings that we can gain as we observe times where Jesus himself chose to not respond. The Bible tells us there in verse 23 is, is this woman who wasn't from Israel, who was a daughter, a woman of Canaan, the Bible says. She was from these certain places. She had a very great need. But then verse 23, but he answered her not a word. And I want, I want to examine times in the scriptures here and, and just a handful of times where Jesus gave no answer. He was silent. And I want you to note some learnings that we can gain from the silence of God. And what it is, is, is God is never lost for words, is He? He's never without purpose. He does it for a reason. And I want us to observe those reasons because those reasons often has 
much more, not much more to do with God and how He wants to deal with us than anything else. So we're going to get into it. Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless, and we'll get into the Scriptures. Father, again, we want to thank you, dear God, for your goodness and grace. And, and Father, we want to admit today that you're a God who wants to fellowship and, and communicate. You're a God who wants to hear from us. And yet, Lord, when we observe Scripture, there has been times where you, you chose to be silent. And Lord, if we admit it, and if, if we're sensitive, it ought to be something that we're, 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 we're noticing in our own lives. And I pray that you'd help us, dear God, to just meditate on the Scriptures this morning and, and then, Lord, make application as you see fit. And I pray, dear God, that you'd just then help us, Lord, to understand more of you so that, Lord, we can rejoice in your workings in our lives. And we're thankful, dear Lord, for this morning. I ask that you please bless your word, bless each hearer. I pray that we would be doers of it in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. So we see here in, in our reading today again that this woman had a, had, a, had a great need. And all of us here, we will probably come to a point in, in each of our lives where we have a great need. And the right thing to do is to seek God about it. And, and that is the right thing to do. And, and there was no question here in my mind as we read Scripture today that she did wrong in approaching the Lord Jesus. She understood His power. She understood the, the, the very nature of Christ, that he was a miracle worker. He was a, he was a son of God that could come, and, and if he chose to, he had the ability to heal. And, and, you know, all of us today, we sometimes we can go to different avenues to try to solve our situations, and we try to maybe even in our own power try to deal with things. And, and it ought to be that Jesus isn't our you know, eventual response, he should be our always response. And it's a good thing that this woman came to the Lord Jesus for this need because from a human point of view, there was no one else that could actually help her. And so she goes to Jesus, but then the surprising thing is he answered her not a word. To the point where actually she, she continued to, to carry on and it was enough that even his own disciples in verse 23 and his disciples came and besought him saying, send her away for she crieth after us. So, so she, she went ahead and she tried to seek Christ for her problem. He doesn't get it. She doesn't get an answer from, from God initially from Jesus. And so she just continues on and to the point where it even bothers the disciples themselves. They're saying, send her away for she crieth after us. And so we don't know what period of time, if it was a, a couple of minutes or a couple of hours, but imagine, imagine the hopes that were built up in this woman. Imagine the desperate situation that she was in. The Bible says there that she had a daughter vexed with the devil. Some of you are suspicious, suspicious of your own daughters about that. But you're, you're thinking this is a desperate need. And imagine the, the hopes that were built up in her and and actually the manner of faith that she approached this. And she comes to the one who had the answer and all he gives her is And you know what she did? She goes on and she continues though. And here's the point I want to make. Here's the thing that we learned from this. As she continued on, she then began to realize the depth of her need. You know, I think sometimes we we when we 
get immediate gratification for a need, we don't always understand how deep our need is. You know, we live in a society that really we have great power in our own hands to solve some of our, some of our problems. And, you know, if you're hungry, generally you can find something to eat, can't you? Right? All of us here, we live in a society that, that's that way. But, you know, in different places around the world, when someone prays for food, they actually need to find food. And when God gives that, it actually is, in their mind, an actual answer to prayer. But you know what we do? We trivialize that because we have so much of it. And sometimes when we do have a need and, and there's other means to do that, we sort of just, instead of looking at the, the working of God in our lives, we're actually just looking at, well, God, yeah, I mean, that's easy for God. And it is easy for God, but it's still, it's still a work, isn't it? It's still a need He met. It's still something that He was able to, to, uh, to work in our lives. And, and, and that's why it ought to transform when we think that way. Just even, even thanking God for the food that is on our tables, it ought to be, not be a trivial thing that we just utter words that we've always uttered in vain repetition. Because, because sometimes what God needs to do to remind us that we are needy and that we have a depth of need that we don't even quite understand in our own lives is to be silent so we would ask again and again and again. I don't know if you've ever had a need. Maybe there's been a loved one and maybe even this morning there's a loved one in your life that you've been praying to God for that they would get saved and you, you've just been so broken about it. And, and what has happened over time is you've realized how much more urgent and how much more needy that request has been where maybe it was an initial thing where you just sort of ask God, now there's a depth in your need. And this is what we find in this woman's case. Because as she went about, eventually as she went, sought after him, he eventually answered. In verse 24, but he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him saying, and notice this suddenly, Lord, help me. At first, it was just this, uh, this, this uh, stating of the facts. But now, her, her desperation, the depth of her need was coming to a greater light. And he answered and said, it is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And uh, we understand the, the Jewish mentality of the day that, that those who are outside of the Jewish nation, those who are outside of Israel were considered those Gentiles, those dogs. There was a disparity there. There was a, a gap between those. And yet he states just that fact. And notice she continues and she said, Truth, Lord. You could almost hear just the deepening of her need. Yet the dogs, and she admits her, her humble position. Eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And what I'm saying is over the course of this conversation that the Bible records for us, this woman's depth and her understanding of her depth of her need become more, became more and more clear. She understood that even though she could come to Christ, that she had to come to Him in a certain way. That she couldn't just come to Him with a demand. She, could, she, she just couldn't come to Him with the knowledge that He could. 
She had to come to him in the knowledge of the absolute desperate need that she had. And she had to come with great humility. She was who he said she was. And that's what happened with this woman is that as, 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 as Jesus gave her silence, it was actually a deepening of her need in her own heart. You know, sometimes we don't recognize. Sometimes when something's taken away from us, and God is silent in his explanation of that. That's when we understand actually how much we need God. It's in the silence sometimes that we learn that without God, we really can't do this. And the silence of Christ caused this woman to consider the need in a more desperate light. And this caused the woman to become deeper in her acknowledgement of who Christ is. She kept repeating it, Lord. You know, that, that word is, is master, he's absolute sovereign. And, and sometimes we give mental assent to that, re, that, that doctrine of the sovereignty of God, but we don't give him much credence of, do, of, of sovereignty. We say we believe that God is sovereign, but when we get an answer or we get nothing from God, then we say to God, how dare you? How, how could you do this? I, I mean, aren't you God? Can't you do something about this? And then the reality is, though, it proves more and more that actually God, he will have mercy to whom he will have mercy. And actually, in his mind, he doesn't march to the drum of our needs. He marches to his own will and way. And many times, he has to demonstrate that to us by just being... Just, just by helping us understand. And you know, what we find about this woman is she went from being formal in her request to raw. You know what God wants? God doesn't want formal approaches. You know, the Bible tells us he's Abba Father. It's meant to be that we come in our reality, in our genuineness, in our sincerity. And sometimes I'm afraid that for those of us who've been saved for a little while, Sometimes we just know the words to say and we utter those in repetition. And we're not even thinking about the need that we have. We're just saying it because we've always said it. And sometimes God has to just, to help us understand, no, no, no. He doesn't want, he wants, he wants what the Bible says in Joel chapter 2, 13, and rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. You know, this week, I mentioned at the beginning there that my, my sister had a really good surgery. You know, I found myself at the beginning of week, just, just being at peace with the situation for her. But I remember just waking up one morning, and I don't know which morning it was, but it was ahead of the, the scheduled time that she was going to come in. And, you know, I had prayed for people with cancer before. I, 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 I knew the words to say. I know the, the, the situation that she's in. And, and I understand from experience those times where I've had to pray for those who have been in desperate need. But you know, I still fell into the trap of just saying the things that I always say. I still fell into the trap of just saying those things that came to mind because I've always said it that way. And, and it was almost like in that moment, there was a bit of just silence from God. There was no calming. 
and, and I remember just being broken in here and actually just the rawness of the situation finally broke in me. And then, as I approached God in, in, in that brokenness of need, that's when the communication started to happen again. And I think sometimes in, in our need and maybe even in the sense of we've been spoiled by the goodness of God in our lives, that, that rawness to approach God isn't there anymore. And so to bring us back in God's wisdom, he just actually doesn't say anything. He actually just helps us then to get more desperate and more raw and more genuine and more sincere in our approach to him. And so the first thing that we learn in, through God's silence is that we need to realize the depth of our need. And then maybe that's you. Maybe there's been some things that you've been praying for for a while and it's growing cold in your own heart and you're no longer praying by faith, you're no longer believing, you're no longer approaching God in great humility, and maybe God's silence is getting you to just get back to your realization of your need. But then notice another situation, look at Luke chapter 23. And so we read, we read that story earlier, and that woman had no authority over Jesus from a human point of view. We understand Jesus in, that, in those terms in, on, on earth. He was uh, just another, uh, another one going around, and, and we understand who he is really. But here in, in, this, in this situation, someone who has greater authority from an earthly point of view comes to Jesus. And, and, and really... When you go before someone with greater authority, we ought, to, we ought to approach and understand that they can just decide whatever they decide. And so Jesus here really, from a human point of view, probably should have been a certain way, but we also understand who Jesus really is. He's sovereign over all. And so actually Herod, who we're going to read about here, had no authority over Jesus because Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's God himself. And so he's trying to help Herod realize something here in verse 8. Read with me. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. That's, that's interesting. Why was he glad? For he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. So actually Herod had a motive here of, of just wanting to, to see some of the things that he's heard. It, was, it must have been entertaining in that day to hear of Jesus' miracles. And he was trying to, he, he was glad to see Jesus because really he wanted to see how he did it. How do you do this, Jesus? And, and can you show me a miracle? Verse 9, then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. This was the, the, the king of the day. This was the, really, from an earthly point of view, the ultimate authority. And, and really, that line of questioning that, that Herod had, probably from a citizen's point of view, should have been given an answer. But Jesus chooses, again in verse 9, but he answered him nothing. And I think it indicates for us something that was happening in Herod's heart and why Jesus wasn't willing to answer because we read it there in Scripture, he was desirous to see him for this reason. He had heard of many things of him, 
and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. And, and what Jesus was trying to help Herod understand was he's approaching Jesus with selfish motives. You know, we, we are inherently full of self. We are inherently full of our own agenda. We are inherently, the, because of this carnal nature of ours at times, can, can approach God seemingly with other motives. And this is really what happened with Herod. And this is what Jesus was trying to help him understand, that he needed to realize his selfish motives. And Herod was asking Christ things that trivialized Jesus. This was all trivial to Herod. He, 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 was, he was on top of the pile, so to speak. And so what would he need from Jesus? He just needed some entertainment. He just needed some sort of, well, show me how you do those miracles, Jesus. Well, show me how you do that. Let me... Let me appease my own, uh, my own curiosity about this. My, uh, let me, let me, let me uh, jump through the hoops, Jesus, is what he was saying. And Herod wasn't in it for his, he wasn't in it for any other thing than his own entertainment. And I want to tell you that sometimes we approach, approach Jesus that way. We approach him in a sense of, that he's meant to do something for us. That, that somehow he's meant to amaze us, that somehow he's meant to astonish us because we had heard of these things. And we come with a selfish motive to appease our own, our own perhaps curiosity. And I want to tell you that just like he had no obligation in that time as he sat there in front of Herod, he has no obligation to perform for us. Jesus has no, he's got no obligation to us to perform certain, a certain way. He, again, he chooses to whom he'll have mercy, he'll have mercy. And Jesus is under no obligation to perform for us. And you know, often we can approach Christ like he's some sort of act. He doesn't need to jump through hoops to satisfy our own selfish wants. And, and what he does, he's silent sometimes. It, what it does, it verifies actually that our motives are perhaps selfish and a little trivial. He doesn't answer because really he wants us to realize how trivial our request is. You know, the Bible tells us in James 4.3, you ask and receive not. Maybe you don't receive an answer because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. So maybe Jesus just say, remains silent because actually he's trying to help you understand and maybe give you the time to evaluate your own heart and to show you perhaps your request is trivial and selfish. And that's really what it was with Herod. Herod had no interest to, to save Jesus from his predicament. Herod didn't believe that really this man was anything but a miracle worker. His whole motive was to see something happen before his eyes. And his silence sometimes verifies that that's, that's where we're at. You know, be careful. Be careful to allow your desire to drive what you ask. You know, um, be, keep your desire in check by allowing God to examine that desire first. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, and sometimes we trust ourselves too much. The heart is deceitful and above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And it ought to be that we approach Jesus with a mentality that it's not about his performance, it's about our obedience. It's not about our, his performance, but our understanding. It's not about his performance, but our submitting to his will. And, and whilst we request, and the Bible tells us that let your request be made known to God, that actually that request is subject to his, his way and His will. It's subject to how He would answer. It's not about how, what He will perform before our eyes. It's not about a story that we can tell later. It's not about a humble brag that we share on our social media platforms. No, it's about the fact that we're surrendered to Him and it's not about His performance in our part. It's about the fact that perhaps... In his silence, he's trying to teach you and he's trying to help you learn. Maybe what you requested is just a little selfish. It's not, it's not about him. It's not about his will and his way being glorified. And perhaps you've approached God that way. Perhaps you've approached God even with, with the, just the attitude that, Lord, if you don't come through with this, what am I going to say to everyone else? Lord, if I've, I've publicly said this now, you need to bless it. And then he just doesn't answer. And maybe it's just because he's trying to help you examine your own heart about the selfishness of that request, that statement. And we need to just be willing to learn in the silence. Here's another one. Now it's the high priest. Look at Matthew 26. Look at Matthew 26. So what do we learn in, in, in the silence? We learn that, that perhaps there's a depth of our need we don't understand. Perhaps our, self, our motive is selfish. And we need to, rather than trying to bend God to our expectation of Him, we need to be surrendered to that. But really, similarly, in chapter 26, Matthew 26, look at, look at verse 62. Now the high priest, the religious leaders of the day, he had been brought before them, accused of, the, of being blasphemous. And in verse 62, and the priest, the high priest arose. The accusation was all those things that he had said. He said, answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? In verse 63, and Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And, and what it was is actually the, the high priest, and, and this is really, a, um, this is really a, a fulfillment of prophecy. The Bible tells us that, that Jesus was dumb before the shearers and he was reviled and reviled not again. So this is a fulfillment of that prophecy that we read in Isaiah. But you understand that that the accusations that, that were being leveled at Jesus, they were pointed. So actually they approached Jesus, the high priest, had approached Jesus with this a preconceived answer. And we do that so, many, so, so much when we approach Jesus. We have a preconceived answer. Like, like God has a, has, has a need for us to figure it out for him. 
Like, I, I know, God, you're a little confused about this. But let me just, here's my prayer. And I'm suggesting this because I don't think you know what you're doing. <laughs> and we have a preconceived answer. We've preconceived in our minds that this is how it should be. And really the things, if you read through there, the things that the high priest was questioning, it was, they're all pointed. And what it was, no matter what Christ was going to say next, they were going to accuse him anyway. And we need to give God the primary place, is what I'm saying, of decision-making in our hearts and lives. You know what we do? We too often come to Christ and then we, we're surprised when he didn't say, doesn't say anything because when we come to Christ, here's what we really want. We just want a rubber stamp. We want a little approval stamp on everything that we've already figured out. Rather than just surrendering to what he wants in his way. And we ought to be okay for God to say yes, but no. just as okay for God to say no, and just as okay to, for God to say nothing. He, he, he doesn't have to give the answer we want. And, and what we find is because Jesus has ultimate authority, he, he can come without having to rubber stamp our plan and our wishes and our wants. And it's at these times when Jesus is not obligated to answer you because really we've just gotten ahead of ourselves. And it's at these times when and Jesus is not obligated to answer you. And can I just say this? Sometimes we're so used to God not answering us that we're just comfortable to make up our own story. And maybe the discomfort that you should feel this morning is the fact that maybe you're just not hearing and God's not responding to you. And don't, don't take that as just God's indifference in our lives. No, no, God's trying to teach you something about you. God's trying to help you maybe just understand the, the motives of your own heart and, and help you maybe come to a realization, realization that the things you're approaching him with, it's just a preconceived answer and you'll only be happy if you, want, if you get that. And you better be careful to, to lay those on the altar and say, Lord, whatever your will is, here's, here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I desire, but here's, here's, here's my plan. Take it and change it the way you want. And it's at these times when, when we come to him with that attitude that really he's not obligated to answer any of us. In 1 Corinthians 3.20, again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. You know, I think sometimes we give ourselves too much credit that we know. <laughs> maybe we don't know. And maybe the silence is to help us understand, you know, your answer? You just made that up. You know, the thing that you're asking me, you're, you're, these are pointed. You're putting me in a situation here that you think I should be in. And we need to just, in humility, just accept the silence. And so we see there that the, even the high priest, he approaches Jesus and Jesus answers in silence. And the learning here is that sometimes when he responds and in the silence, we need to understand maybe that we've approached him with a preconceived answer in mind. But then lastly, look at John chapter 19 and we'll turn, turn here. We'll turn to a few other places and then we'll, we'll be nearly done. Joshua chapter, uh, sorry, John chapter 19, we'll turn to Joshua in a bit, but And verse 6, John 19. 
When the chief priests, therefore, in verse 6, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. That was an accusation. And verse 8, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Why, something witnessed in him that that was the truth about Jesus. He was the Son of God. And went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, and notice the question he asked, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. He's asking, who are you and where are you from? What are you about? And you know, actually, deep down in Pilate's heart, he already knew because it was already answered for him. In fact, he believed it whether he knew it or not because he was more afraid. And what had happened, Jesus didn't answer because... Actually, for Pilate, he already knew the answer. And you know, sometimes God's silence actually means we already know the answer. We just maybe aren't doing anything about it. And, and this is this way, you know, that, that verse in the Bible where, where, say, where it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know, the thing that sometimes God wants us to do is just to confess our sin. And maybe the silence in your life is because there's a sin there you won't deal with, and you know it. You know it. You know, there's those scriptures where it says, you know, if you go to the altar and you have a gift, what the Bible says, leave that gift and go make right. You know, God's not interested in fellowship and, and communion and all of that with us if we won't deal with the things we know to do right. If we won't deal with those things that, you know, he un you, we should already know that. You know, there's a lot of Christians who, over time, they've, they've been saved for a little while. And over time, they've grown to just be comfortable in the silence of God in their lives. And they just know that what they're supposed to do is to draw nigh to God because he'll draw nigh to him. We're supposed to know some things. There's some things that are evident. There's some things we already know the answer to and we don't need to actually approach Christ. We just need to do something about it. It's like those who, you know, they, they pray about if this person who's not saved, they should marry. You already know you shouldn't be in fellowship with those. You already know that it's not right. You already know that the Bible's very clear on that. And there's certain things that... Jesus will just give us silence because actually he's already previously spoken about it. And now we just have to do something with what we know. And too many times we're praying and praying and seeking God, quote unquote, and we're, we're pestering him with that. But the reality is we should know already. There's an answer already. And, and Pilate already knew the answer when he asked, whence art thou? He was already in his heart being witnessed to you're the son of God. <laughs> he already knew the answer. And too many times in our stubborn nature, too many times in our denial of God's sovereignty in our lives, we won't do what he expects of us. We want a different answer. So we continue to ask. Right? We continue to seek him, so to speak, and we continue to Go to God about that when He's already given us an answer 
He's already made it clear in Scripture. He's already instructed us previously. And we go about and we wonder why. There's silence. And maybe it's just that we already know the answer. And God is under no obligation to answer your query if you already know what to do and won't do it. He's under no obligation. And we see that, that at times, at times it's, it's action that's required. And in Luke chapter 5, quickly turn there with me. Verse 4, now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. So here's instruction from Jesus. And Simon answering said unto him, you know, at that point, he should have just done it, but here Simon talks again. Right? We know Simon Peter, you know, the guy with the big mouth. Uh, that's him. He, he answers, Master... We've toiled all night. And we understand he had some expertise in this, didn't he? He was a fisherman. He says, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And so he had to put in his word before he did it. And when they had done this done, they in, enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, and they should, should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know what? He recognized his delay. <laughs> he recognized his hesitation. And so he goes again to Jesus. And then God proves it. Jesus proves it to him. And many times we already know there's been previous instruction. We should just do it. Just stop talking. Just get it done. Just stop, stop, stop conjuring up those things that, that, that we're confused about. Just, there's some things that we just should just look to and go, you know what, that's what God says. That's what we ought to do. And again, look at Joshua chapter 7. And here God speaks, but he speaks very immediately, very abruptly to, to, uh, to Joshua. And the context here is there was Achan's sin. They had, had taken of the, the goodly Babylonish garment. And when God said, don't take anything from the, the city of Jericho, it's the first city. It's the principle of the first fruits. And yet here Achan was tempted. He took all of that. And so what had happened, what, uh, what came of that is they go to this little city called Ai and they, they lose resoundingly. And so obviously Joshua's grieved by that. Joshua's looking at that and that's a grief to him as a leader. And so he responds the way he normally would. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth in verse 6 upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. They were grieving. This was a process of grieving for that result. And Joshua said, notice this, Alas, O Lord God, wherever hast thou, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. O oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs 
before the enemies for the king. And he goes on and on. You know, the, the Lord said unto Joshua, notice this, get thee up. He says, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? He's saying, Joshua, get up. He's saying there's sin. You know, sometimes when, when there's the bleeding obvious, we should just do the obvious. And sometimes we go on and on and we wax eloquent with God in our prayer. And God's saying, come on. <laughs> just, just do what I told you to do. Just. And he just pauses. For dramatic effect. And he says, just do what you're supposed to do. Many times, you know who we are? We're the masters of delay. We, 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 we mask our, our disobedience, delay, in, in spiritual talk. And actually, we're just meant to do what we're supposed to do. You know, as kids, we do this. You have instructed one of your kids to do something pretty, pretty easy. And you know, you're, in your mind, it's going to take them 30 seconds, but, oh, Dad, uh, I just need to do my homework. Oh, Dad, I just need to, oh, Dad, I just need to, oh, did you say this or that? And you know what it is? Masters of delay. And we, God's children, we're just as bad. We're masters of delay. And, and his silence is helping us just listen. And his, delay, his, his, his silence may just be that he's trying to teach you, you already know, just do it. And often we're asking questions that aren't needful, you already know the answer, obey. You already know. You've been saved long enough. You've read through your Bible long enough. You've sat down and listened to thousands of messages enough that you already know what to do. So just go ahead and obey. And maybe you'll hear from him again. And you know, many times we, we grow comfortable in the silence of God. It ought, it ought to make us uncomfortable but not uncomfortable so that we accuse God, but uncomfortable so we can observe our own heart. Because it could just very well be that we don't even understand what we're requesting. We don't even understand our posture toward God. It could be very well be that those, those motives of asking, they're actually quite selfish, and we're asking amiss that we might consume it upon our own lusts. It could be, be very well be that it's just that we've already made up the plan for God and he, we just need him to rubber stamp it. And it could be very well that you already know what to do. Now it's not about asking, it's about doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Lord, for the time that we've had in your word. and Lord, I'm thankful that you are a God who communes with us. and Lord, you in your your word through the witness of the Spirit in our hearts and that, that still small voice.
can instruct us and, to, and can guide us. And yet the reality is, dear God, there's, there are times where you choose that what's best is just that you withhold any further instruction. That, Lord, you would just, in your silence, teach us to learn some things that's happening in our own heart. And, Lord, I don't know where everyone's at. I just know that there's times, in, even in my own life, Lord, where it's been in those times where you've taught me some things about me. And I pray that you'd help each and every one of us, Lord. Lord, to appreciate just the, who you are, not to grow comfortable, not to, not to think that indifference is there, but, Lord, that actually you're just, even in that, you have purpose. And that, Lord, you want us to learn some things about us. And so I pray that you help each and every one of us, Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. And 